0: So a 2019 survey done by the Cleveland Clinic reveals the pessimistic view that a lot of men have when it comes to going to the doctor, okay? Going to the doctor. 72% of respondents said they would rather be doing household chores like cleaning toilets than going to the doctor. 65% of respondents said that they avoid going to the doctor as long as possible. Is anyone coming to mind right now? 20% admitted that they aren't always honest with their doctors about their health. And maybe most telling of all, 37% said that they withheld information from their doctors in the past, specifically because they weren't ready to deal with the potential diagnosis that might result if they told the truth. It's interesting, isn't it? God in his kindness has given us so much common grace through modern medicine and doctors, but we often miss out on those gifts and grace because we don't want to admit we're sick, we don't want to admit we need help, or maybe we're afraid of what the potential diagnosis is. And this is not just a male problem as we know. I don't want to mention any names, but I know some women in this room, (coughs) Emily Wiley, who uh, getting them to go to the doctor is like pulling teeth. As Americans, we don't have time to be sick. So we don't slow down, we don't go to the doctor until we're finally knocked on our back and we have to. We're forced to stay home or to go to the doctor. And while I know, and I wanna make sure you know that, while I know there are things in this world that God doesn't heal, for most of us and for most of our sicknesses, it's both possible and available. But it takes admitting we are sick and that we need a doctor. And as we look at Mark 2 this morning in the second question in our sermon series, Jesus is going to use a similar logic when talking about our spiritual state as he responds to a question from some of the Pharisees. And as we look at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we're gonna see a shocking call, a scandalous meal, and a Savior's mission, or better, the Savior's mission. So let's first notice the shocking call that we see in verses 13 and 14. The scripture reads this way, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Thus far in the gospel of Mark, Jesus has been preaching his message that the kingdom of God is near. He's been calling disciples to himself. He's been doing miraculous signs and healing people. His message and the signs that have accompanied it have drawn a crowd to him and his popularity has increasingly grown. Many others than just the disciples we know are coming to Jesus to hear his message or to be healed by him or just to see what this new radical rabbi is all about. But as we will continue to see next week as well, as, as Jesus' popularity rises with the people, so does the opposition from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. This rising fame and rising tension is where we find ourselves in our story this morning. The text tells us that Jesus is walking near the Sea of Galilee and that a large crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them this is not an uncommon practice for rabbis they would teach their disciples as they walked along but then something truly shocking happens as he's walking by and he's surrounded by this crowd jesus looks through the crowd and he sees levi sitting at his tax office or toll booth and he says follow me Now let's be clear, this is a call to Levi to come and be Jesus' student. It's a call to come and be his disciple. And you might be thinking, yeah, so what, Brett? Jesus called a lot of disciples to follow him. But unless we understand who Levi was, we'll never understand how outrageous Jesus calling him to himself would have been to others in this crowd. You see, Levi was a tax collector or as some commentators clarify, a toll collector. So he most likely set his, his toll booth on this road, probably taking tolls for Herod the Tetrarch. And as Benjamin Glad notes, these tax collectors paid the tribute ahead of time, in full, and then turned around and collected payment as they accosted those passing by. And charging exorbitant rates and fees, however they deemed fit, would not be out of the ordinary. According to early Jewish tradition, tax collectors were associated with thieves and murderers. This is who Jesus called to follow him that day. Levi was a Roman collaborator, a traitor, an exploiter, an extorter of his own people. He was working for the man. To the Jews, he was an enemy, a scoundrel, a thief. One who would have been despised by most people. you got to think what this was like even amongst Jesus' disciples. What did they think when Jesus called Levi? We're not sure that Simon the Zealot is here yet, but I'm sure when he got there, he was confused when he saw a tax collector. But I can just imagine Peter. We all know Peter, right? I'm Peter. I can just imagine Peter thinking, him, Jesus? You, You know what he does, Right? Like, really, I'm okay with anybody being in our group, but a a tax collector? I I just don't know about that, Jesus. But you see, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he called Levi, and he wasn't concerned what others thought about it, Because this is what Jesus came to earth to do. And Levi was just the type of person that Jesus came to call. This was his mission, reconciling enemies to himself and the hard part for us to admit to accept is the outside of Christ we are all enemies of God we are all Levi's this is not just an Old Testament idea it's even clear in the New Testament Romans five ten tells us that we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus while 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 we were enemies so what made us enemies The Bible tells us that through our sin, we joined the great ancient cosmic rebellion against God. We are collaborators with the enemy. Every time we worship something other than God, every time we make an idol out of a created thing, every time we lust after our neighbor's spouse or stuff, every time we dishonor our father or mother, every time we lie to someone or hate someone made in the image of God, we are taking part in that rebellion that has separated us from God, we are all Levi's. This is the hard news of the gospel. But it's real, and we have to sit in it. Because if we don't sit in it, we will miss the beauty, the depth, the world-altering good news that is this, that the kingdom of God, that the grace of Jesus is for Levites. It's for traitors and scoundrels, it's for you and me, me and you. And maybe you're still having a hard time relating to Levi, but but really in America in 2023, I don't know if there's a better disciple for us to relate to than Levi. You see, Levi was chasing the God of self-fulfillment. The reason a person got into tax collecting or toll collecting, even when their own people would despise them, was because it was a way to make money. You could get paid. Levi was chasing money. He was chasing the right clothes, he was chasing the right house, he was chasing the right stuff, and ultimately he was chasing the good life. And he thought it was found through self-fulfillment and he didn't care who he had to step on to get there. Does anybody relate to this? Tanner, I've still got a little bit of reverb in my mic that's a little there. Thank you, buddy. The God of self-fulfillment is alive and well today. I feel him tugging at my heart daily. Don't miss the scene here. L- listen, sometimes we see the Bible and we're like, oh, this is just a story. This is history. This happened. Jesus was walking by and in the midst of Levi chasing the good life while he is still sitting in front of of the very source of his selfishness, his toll booth. He looks up to meet the eyes of Jesus, and Luke tells us that at a word, follow me. He drops everything, he leaves everything and follows Jesus. As Amy Joseph notes, Levi wasn't just caught in the act, he was called in the act. What a picture of grace. And this is true of all of us. We might not be called, we might not have been called in front of our toll booths but we were all called in the act. We were all called while we were still sinners. What kind of savior is this? Who makes enemies into friends, who makes traitors into disciples, who makes scoundrels into saints. Levi's call was a shocking call, but you don't get the gospel yet if you don't think that our call was just as shocking as Levi's. Next in our story, we come to a scandalous meal Verse 15, it writes While he was reclining at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So sometime after Levi decided to follow Jesus, he hosted a banquet for him. And Jesus was there and his disciples were there and a large group of people who Mark describes as tax collectors and sinners. And I say banquet because the text tells us that Jesus was reclining at table. And it was at a normal meal that you would sit But at a banquet, you would recline on pillows and eat at a table that was lower to the ground. Why does this detail matter? Because it tells us that Levi wasn't a reluctant disciple trying to sneak quietly off from his life as a tax collector and keep his life with Jesus relatively quiet. No, Levi was leaving his old life with joy. He was hosting a banquet because he wanted as many people to know as possible, hey, I'm with Jesus now, you should get with him too. He sent the invite to every contact on his email list. He said, come get some of this. Listen, if Jesus really is who he said he is, then we should be compelled to joyfully share him with others. So the question is, are we reluctant disciples who are trying to keep our faith as quiet as possible? Or are we Levites who are throwing banquets and saying, come on, I want you to meet Jesus. I got to share him with you. I got to tell you what he's done for me. In these two verses, we come to the second question in our sermon series. There's a group of Pharisees. They weren't at the dinner. It would be, it would be impossible to think that they would be at the dinner. Either they know it happened, they heard about it and ask it later on, but they know this dinner happened. And they're utterly scandalized by the actions of Jesus. They ask his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now the question might be asking is, why is this group so repulsed by this idea? To understand that, we need to understand the significance of table fellowship, of breaking bread with someone else in this time. In Jesus' time, it was more than just a transaction or an appointment on a calendar to have a meal with someone. It was not an insignificant act. To share a meal was to extend a real welcome to one another. It was to create or celebrate the bond of friendship over the breaking of bread. It was to fellowship with one another before God. In a very real sense, it was to reach across the table and say, I accept you. This is why these Pharisees were so incensed by Jesus breaking bread with this group of people. Remember who's at the table. Mark calls them tax collectors and sinners. Sinners here means more than just ritually unclean. It's morally unclean. These are professional sinners. They know what they're doing and they're good at their job. And by eating with them, don't miss this. By eating with them, Jesus is intentionally signaling what the kingdom he is building is like and who it is for. The kingdom of God is for scoundrels and sinners. I chose the word, word for specifically over the phrase open to because the kingdom of God is not just open, to scoundrels and sinners. It's for scoundrels and sinners. There aren't other types of people in the kingdom. And for this group of Pharisees, the possibility that the messianic kingdom was for people like Levi or prostitutes who were probably there as well was inconceivable. You see, the name Pharisees probably means separated, separate ones. And for them, living a life that honored God a life of holiness meant separating themselves from anyone or anything that was ritually or morally unclean. And certainly eating and drinking with known sinners was a surefire way to become stained or defiled yourself. You, you could say or we could say that the, that the core goal of the life of faith of the Pharisees was separation. But Jesus is proclaiming at this meal that the ultimate goal of the Christian life is reconciliation. And I think this is a good place for us to pause and consider our own lives for a moment. What about us? If someone were tasked, was observing your life or your family's life for a month, watching all of your meals and habits and, and calendar, and at the end of the month, they were to be asked, hey, as you think about their table, their life, their calendar, which word better describes it? Either separation or reconciliation. What would you say? What do you think that person would say? Did you know that one of the consistent accusations of Jesus in his public ministry that he was a drunk, a glutton, and friends with the wrong types of people? Jesus himself said so in Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19. He says, for John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. And they say, he has a demon. But then the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why would people be saying such things about God himself, the son of man? Well, it's because these are the people that follow Jesus. These are the kinds of people that follow Jesus. These are the kinds of people that were always attracted to his ministry and he was eating with them all the time. So much, so much so that New Testament scholar Robert Karras actually says when you look at the gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal at all times. Jesus is my kind of guy. <laughs> so meals were a core aspect of Jesus' ministry and mission. Through them, he was showing what his kingdom is like and who it was for. Enemies, traitors, adulterers, thieves. Those, as Zach said, those that most people would have thought were unsavable, unredeemable, too far gone. Let me ask you a question, thought exercise. We know this is the type of people who were at Levi's banquet that night in Mark chapter two. So if this is today, And Jesus' table is made up of the same kind of people. The type of people that you and I think are unsavable, unredeemable, too far gone. Who's at that table? I'm intentionally and specifically not giving modern examples that come to my mind because I think this table looks different for each of us. Each of us has our own biases and prejudices and groups that we think we're holier than. So who is it for you? Who's an enemy or a traitor like a tax collector? Who comes to mind when you think of real sinners? You know what I mean when I say that? I mean, we we would probably generally go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm generally a sinner. But those people, that guy, her, that's what a real sinner looks like. Who is that for you? Who do you think of to yourself when you say, man, It would take a miracle of God for Jesus to save that person. Who is it? Because can I tell you something? Those are the people, those people that came to your mind just now, those are the people who Jesus was eating and drinking with in Mark chapter 2. And the kingdom of God is for people like that. I think one thing we need to hear this morning is that meals are still a key aspect of Jesus' ministry and missions. If you were to think about the last six months of your life, how many times have you shared a meal with someone who isn't a Christian or who doesn't go to church? Let me be more specific. How many times have you opened your home or shared a meal with someone who doesn't look like you, believe like you, or think like you? If I'm honest, this is a really convicting question for Emily and I, for the Wileys. In this season of life especially. And I want you to know something this morning. One of the reasons that the elders and staff of City Life Church say no to some ministries and no to some programs is because we don't want every day and night of your life to be taken up by Christian things surrounded by other Christians. Of course we need community. Of course we need other Christians to walk through the joys and pains of life with us and to point us to Jesus. But we also need to leave margin in our lives to be rubbing shoulders with and building relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members who don't know him and desperately need him. uh, Andy's sermon last week, do we really believe that our neighbors, coworkers, friends, and families who don't need Jesus, do we really believe that their greatest need is Jesus? Because if we did, we'd be throwing banquets and having people over so they can meet him. Hear me on this, because I'm preaching myself now. I'm preaching to myself now. Everyone heard that? The goal of the Christian life is not to spend our entire lives in a Christian subculture or bubble. And those of us, like Emily and myself, who've chosen to put our kids in Christian school, we are in danger of this the most, maybe. We need to be especially aware of this. The best thing for your discipleship or the spiritual growth of your kids might not be to add another Christian thing to your calendar. Parents, the most spiritually impactful thing on your kids might be for them to see you open your home to someone different than you, have them at your table, welcome them, love them, even at the risk that they say something that's inappropriate or that you don't agree with. I'm telling you, as I prepared for this sermon, I was convicted. Emily and I have already talked about it. We haven't had a lot of people like this in our home in the last six months. We haven't broke bread with a lot of people like this in the last six months. Why? Why risk it? Why risk being uncomfortable? Why make room at your table for radical hospitality? Because we follow a Savior who was asked, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? If we're supposed to look like him, we should get that question every once in a while. Hey, why do you hang out with people like that? Because Jesus did. Finally, let's notice the Savior's mission. Verse 17 records Jesus' response to the Pharisees' question. When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See here, I'm gonna try to offend everyone today. Some of you love the last part of my sermon. You heard that. You heard the types of people that Jesus were eating and drinking with. You heard them, that me say the kingdom of God is for scoundrels and sinners. And you thought, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Inclusion. Just loving and welcoming people. That's what it's all about. And you're absolutely right. Jesus' kingdom is about radical inclusion. It's about radical love. But one of the things I love about the Bible and Jesus is he's an equal opportunity offender. No one is safe from the Bible. No one gets a pass with Jesus. We see this in the story in Mark chapter two. This passage convicts and confronts both the religiously conservative and the religiously liberal. For the religious conservative, the highest value is safety masquerading as truth. And here we have the very personification of truth, being totally at home, breaking bread with tax collectors, sinners, and probably prostitutes. The most reviled people and vocations of the day. And for the religiously liberal, the highest value is inclusion masquerading as love. And here we have Jesus, the very personification of love, saying to those at the dinner, I've come to call you to a new way of life. You see, it's not true to say that Jesus calls us where we are to stay as we are. That's not true. What is true, that, God, that Jesus calls us where we are to come be with him and be made like him. But do you see that that's so much better news than him just loving us and saying, stay where you are? It's so much better news say, come and be with me and be like me. Mark 2.17 is a critical verse for understanding the identity and mission of Jesus. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me translate what Jesus is saying here, because remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees. What he's saying is, I didn't come to call those who think they're righteous. I came to call those who know they're sinners. Did you hear that? I didn't come to call those who think they're righteous. I came to call those who know they're sinners. You see, the people who were at the banquet at Levi's house knew they were sinners. That's why they were at the dinner. The reason why the Pharisees weren't at the dinner is because they thought they were righteous. But these scholars of the Bible weren't reading their own notes because Psalm 53 makes it clear God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one, not even one. There is no one who is righteous, not one of us. What the Pharisees didn't know that day is that their self-righteousness made them just as sinful and just as lost as the tax collectors and sinners that were at Levi's table. If you've been in our Galatians Bible study this semester, you've learned there's really two ways of lostness. There's two ways of running from God. You can be lost like the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son, who was lost in self-fulfillment, trying to find satisfaction in all the things of the world. This is the Levi's of the world. Or... You can be lost like the older brother in the prodigal son story who was lost in self-righteousness, trying to find acceptance with his fathers by the things he did and had done. Listen, the Pharisees were just as sick as everybody at Levi's banquet, but they just didn't know it. And to be clear, just talking to some friends about this recently. You know, some of us live more as a prodigal, the, the younger son, the self fulfillment. Some of us live as more of the older son and self-righteousness, but don't, don't miss it that we, we flip back and forth all the time. Around some people, I'm, I'm the younger son, self-fulfillment. Around some people, I'm the older son, self-righteousness. Both can be there. Let's close by considering Jesus' illustration in verse 17. He says, not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Listen, doctors don't exist for the healthy. Doctors exist to heal the sick. Remember the study that I shared at the beginning, the Cleveland Clinic study. So many people avoid the doctor's office for one reason or another. To find healing, it just, admits, it just takes admitting you're sick and that you need a doctor. Luke's version of this story adds two words to verse 17 that I think are significant. He says, I've come to call, um, I've come to call the righteous, not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is admitting that you're sick and that you need a doctor. When Levi was sitting in front of his tax office, his toll booth, I honestly don't believe he needed to be told that he was sinful. I think Levi knew who he was. Enough people had told him that I'm sure he wore that like a badge of honor and maybe a badge of shame. He knew perfectly well who he was. He didn't need to be reminded of a sin. He needed to know there was a doctor that could heal him. And when Jesus showed up and called him to follow him, when he called him in front of the very source of his selfishness and sin, when he called him in the act, Luke's gospel tells us, so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. So leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. This is what repentance looks like. Can you, do you just wonder what Levi was thinking? You think he looked back, looked back and said, me? Is it somebody else? Because it can't be me. You don't know who I am. I know who you are. I've heard about you. But you can't be talking to me. I'm sitting right here. I just took that person's money. Me? But when he saw the eyes of Jesus and a doctor who could welcome him and heal him right where he was, he left everything behind. So yes, yes it's absolutely true that the gospel is radically inclusive. It is and we need to wrestle with that. It's absolutely true that anyone who wants can sit at Jesus' table and experience his forgiveness and grace be part of the kingdom that he's building. No matter the present, or pass sin or shame. The only thing Jesus asks of you to sit at his table is to leave everything behind and follow him. What about you? You may not be sitting in front of a toll booth, or you may not have been sitting in front of a toll booth when Jesus called you, but all of us were still sitting in our sin. Scripture's clear about that. Maybe it was self-fulfillment, or maybe it was self-righteousness. Maybe you're still there. Maybe you're sitting right now in front of your toll booth. Are you ready for something different? Are you ready for something new? Are you ready for something better than you could imagine? Can I tell you that Jesus is the doctor you need? On the cross, he took our sickness upon him so that he could offer us real healing so that he could be the doctor he needed. He took our sickness, our sin, our shame, so that he could offer us himself healing, righteousness, forgiveness. Anybody can get in on this. Anybody can sit at this table. The question is, will we answer his call to follow him? Pray with me. Father, I love Jesus. Jesus. I love the Bible because none of us are safe. None of us are safe, Lord. You are calling all of us. You're calling the Levites in this room who don't need to be told. Who don't need to be told that they're sinners. Who don't need to be reminded of their shame. They feel it even in this moment. They just need to know there's a doctor who can heal them. And Jesus is the one. He's the one who took our sickness upon him. And some of us, like the Pharisees, Lord, some of us don't know we're sick. We walked in this morning and we felt pretty good about where we're at. We compare ourselves to others and go, man, I, I think my track record's pretty good. I think I'm okay, Jesus. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would graciously reveal a scalpel that cuts through that lying heart and reveals a humble reality that we're all sick. God, would you call Levi's in this room? Would you call Pharisees in this room to yourself? Would would we know that when we sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb, we're going to be surrounded by scoundrels and sinners. That's the only people that get in. That's the only people that are part of the kingdom. And all we have to do is respond to your call to follow you. Lord, move in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray.